Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Happy 80 degree Friday. I believe it's the first 80 degree day we've made here in 2021. It's sunny outside and there's a whole lot of political division going on. Thanks for joining us for take two. It's always hot I in know. politics. Maybe <laughs> not outside. Hot. It's the first 80 degree day, but I we've know. had 80 degree political heat for All some time. All the time. It Mara never goes Carabello's down. here. Greg uh, Hughes. I almost forgot your last name because hey, it's been, been gone so, for it's so long. It's been so long. That's yeah. right. I hope you missed me. You're um, brown as a biscuit. That's what I say after. They have <laughs> these commercials in Florida when you live there, and it's brown as a biscuit for $9.99. I take that as a compliment. But I yes, love but, sizzling my skin. But you got sizzled uh, for free in Mexico. I so did. I went on a vacation. Thanks for coming back. We missed you. It was hard to come back. It's so beautiful, but here I am. I know. Someday we'll have an ocean here in Utah. Maybe. I don't <laughs> that's know. A, that's why I cheer for global warming. Just bring those shores. Let's just let California become like Atlantis at the bottom of an ocean or, somewhere. Or and let's have just, a beach right you, here. Or you could <laughs> save the earth and just move. I mean, just oh, think about options. Eh. Eh. <laughs> well, thanks for being here. <laughs> well, tomorrow we're going to start with what's coming up here. Uh, the Utah GOP is going to be meeting and voting on their leadership there's been a lot of drama in the last couple of weeks about allegations of um, sexual misconduct. Um, Scott Miller has been doing stories with KUTV, talking about he feels like he's been judged unfairly. And now the day before, he's actually backed out of the race. So he doubled down and said, I'm still in the race, still vote for me. And then today, all of a sudden, he's out. So Mara, we'll start with you. Is it a good thing that he's out? Does it matter because the GOP can choose their own leadership and do as they choose? Hey, if I were the GOP, I'd want to look forward. And so I think it's probably a good thing that this isn't part of the discussion tomorrow and that they can just talk about traditionally off-season, if you will, um, conventions are really inward-looking. They should be talking in more depth about their platforms. They should be talking about who their leadership is, why it val- you know, why, what they value. So it's going to help them to inward-look without a guy who's in the midst of an argument about where he sits on the sexual harassment. And, and again, remember, one of the unique parts about this was the nature of um, – the women making the accusations as well were a part of the party system, right? So they would have showed up. It would have been a part of it. So I think that that's better that that won't be involved. I would also hope that they would rise above and not spend too much time talking about how they feel about Romney because I would suggest that that's a very backwards-looking party, not yes, a particularly forward-looking if party. If you haven't heard, they do want to censure yes. uh, Romney for his not one but two votes um, on the impeachment trials. So, Greg, uh, this is your party. Mm-hmm. Are you going to be there tomorrow? I am. Ooh, this will be fun. We can get a full report next week. I don't think a lot of people, just normal people at home, think about these <laughs> GOP conventions and well, what's going on. Well, you should. You're not normal. Sorry. Yeah, I'm not normal. The, the people that show up to conventions are the real extreme excited of the parties on both sides. But the interesting thing is, is that we obviously are not in the midst of a big election right now. This is sort of the deep breath moment. But I think both Republicans and Democrats in our state have some choices how they move forward. Sure. What kind of Republicans are we? What do we stand for? Are we in the middle? Are we okay with the left and the right being in the same tent? Or are we going to go one way or the other? What's going to happen tomorrow? So first off, you know, we have a two-party political system in our country. And so it really, it's really important for both parties to make sure that 
everyday people would want to engage and be part of and affiliate with a party. And there, there are other political parties. When I say it's a two-party system, there's certainly you have the libertarians, you have other parties that are out there as well. But engaging in that process, we don't want to just pay lip service to what a Democrat or who, what a candidate that, that hails from the Democrat Party or a candidate that does versus a Republican. There are platforms. There are, there are values. There are visions of what they see the role of government to be what it would not be. I think that people need to weigh in on those things. I think that the, if we disengage from the party politics, but you still have the parties, I, I think that's where things start to, that's, that's where things start to blend and, and cynicism. And you say, well, what's the difference between a Republican and Democrat? Why even have the difference if you can't tell the difference? Everyone should engage and they should be weighing in on what they feel their party, its platform should mean and, and, and what that vision looks like. This is what I believe. You have candidates for the organ. These are important elections. And these delegates that went to their community uh, caucus meetings way back in 18, because we didn't have them, uh, you know, the, in the 20 cycle, they go to those uh, organizing conventions and they vote for leaders that help that party elect candidates from that party for the November races. We got to quit in Utah thinking that all the races are going to boil down to Republican primaries. And that's where everyone needs to vote because the Democrats are so weak or so few that November races don't count anymore. No, every party should really look to build their party, their message, and that's what you're going to see on Saturday with the Republicans. And I think it's great. I think there'll be a battle of ideas. You have some of the controversy. You have uh, maybe a more establishment ticket, not just a candidate, but a a down ticket of candidates that the the Governor Cox and Lieutenant Governor Henderson and the Speaker of the House, Wilson, and the Senate President, uh, Stuart Adams, have all endorsed. And then there's some grassroots going, well, wait a minute. You know, is that the ordained? Is that you who know, we're supposed to? What about the endorsements? There was a little hubbub this week. Yes. Where people weren't crazy um, over the idea that uh, the governor and the lieutenant governor were kind of putting their money on some of the horses in the sure. race. Sure. You know what? They're, they, it, would, it would be inaccurate to say that the, the governor and the lieutenant governor and other elected officials have not had mm-hmm. candidates that they've supported. Uh, I think the letter and it having all the candidates for the you know chair, vice chair, treasurer, secretary, all the way down, that's something I don't think delegates, rank and file delegates, have seen by way of a letter before. But you know what? That's part of the process. That that creates debate. That creates discussion. Let the discussions go. Let the debates go. It'll be good. It'll Are be a healthy. Are you going to vote to censure Romney? Where do you stand? You know what? I have to check. I'm on the central committee, but I don't know if that makes me a state delegate or not. I'm not sure that I am a you state don't delegate. Know that you'll but get to. but, um, but I, look, other states have done it, and I think that it's if the delegates there, the will is that he should be censured. I would vote to censure him if it were up to me. I don't think that being the first Republican senator in the history of this nation to vote to impeach or convict after impeachment uh, a president of their own party. I think that's noteworthy, and I don't think it's something that was merited, and I don't think it's something that represents the state. So it's certainly not the party. What does it do? It sends that message. I mean, look, six years is a long time to have a – I mean, you know, you have terms of two years for state house and for U.S. Congress, four years for governor. Six years is a long time to have representation. We don't have recall elections for our federal officers a censure is really the best you can do to say, hey, we think you, you whiffed it on that one. We don't think that's what we expect out of our Republican U.S. senator representing our state. Whiffed it? I haven't heard that in a long time. It's like a strikeout. You yeah. whiffed. You yeah, know, yeah. You, you swung and missed. You I know? would just, as, as we move on to the next subject, I would just say, I'd say to either party, the more time you're spending sending messages, the more time you're spending sort of laying down 
these edicts about who and who isn't, I would say that you're probably losing because I think that, that there is an opportunity post-COVID uh, to look at change in America. I think we'll, we'll lead into this as we talk about where Biden's putting down the marker on his bill. But I would just say to local parties right now, I think people are ready for decision makers and change agents. And I think that uh, to Greg's point about engaging more, let's say it called normal people in it. Message bills. Everyday people. Message We're all bills normal. And looking Laura. backwards are sort of not how you're going to entice someone who's taking a hike in the sunshine tomorrow instead of being inside. All right. I am going to be out in the sunshine at a soccer game. Cannot wait to be not freezing. Good for you. I feel like yeah. I need snow pants lately yeah. to be outside. Seriously. Okay. So switching gears here, uh, independent redistricting and the commission. You were not here last week, but afterwards, I think we talked a whole podcast worth afterwards about redistricting. And it's a big issue. A lot of people aren't thinking about it right now. There's been a little bit of talk now that the census released their numbers this last week. I think everyone's always hopeful that Utah's going to get another congressional seat, but you've got to start... I don't know, having more babies or something. Because while we are the fastest growing state in the nation, 18.4% growth, we're a state of 3 million people. And that growth compares to nothing when you're talking about a state that has millions and millions and a city with 3 million. So no seat for us, but redistricting. Mara, uh, are there going to be any problems aside from the average everyday ones? Last week, we were talking about the fact that everything's slow rolling and this could affect some races. Yeah, so I'm going to stay Utah focused on the okay. census numbers, not sort of speak to, we can speak to later whether you know, I, I, the Republicans really won the day it seems from the redistricting or from the census report, I mean uh, nationally, but like staying yeah. Utah focused, uh, it's going to be so interesting. So what came out this week were the congressional census numbers. So that's what the redistricting commission is really focused on. That's what they're starting to build their philosophies around rural urban disposition or donut hole or whatever theories that we'll hear a lot about. What is also interesting to note is that we do not have local numbers yet. So all of that granular bit of redistricting that happens with House and Senate districts can't happen yet. We don't have that level of census detail yet. And that's not likely to come until September. So what else is happening in September is ah, we're running up against deadlines where we actually have to show people maps. And then we're running up additional deadlines with people trying to decide if they're going to run for office, trying to decide if they're going to um, gather signatures. Are there any ballot measures out there? Are they going to gather signatures? And you start to pile up political processes because the election code, like every other code, is well-intended but kind of separated. So when we made the the rules governing election gathering, signature gathering, we're sort of in our headset here, and they don't necessarily always line up. So this delayed release of census numbers is going to really stack up to those on the commission and in the legislature who are going to have to make decisions about signature gathering and districts and handing potential candidates their maps. And so that's that's a little bit granular, but I think we will be able to see what the philosophy is of this independent commission right now because they're going to start talking about congressional districts. But I'm still really keeping an eye on September when that's when the local numbers come in. That's when we'll know who won or lost House and Senate seats from a very maybe within the party because the Republicans also, as density has happened in Utah, right? We, we think of ourselves as rural, but we're one of the most urban states in the nation. Mm -hmm. As we dense up, it's not just going to be the Democrats that they may try and cut out of what is now Salt Lake County. Um, you're going to stack up on Republican districts too. Yeah. So, and the interesting thing, Greg, before you go, is I've been seeing like the Twitter wars and people drawing up their own maps. And 
I am not the one who's an expert on this, but I'm looking at it. I like, am. And they're like, Salt Lake City should be its own district and this. But what I don't think people understand is there's an exact number these have to yeah. be. Salt Lake City's not big enough. Salt Lake County's too big to be its own. So this isn't as easy as leave all the Democrats in one group and then let the Republicans have the rest of the races. There's a lot that goes into this. There are. Look, there's two topics here. One, I, I want to talk about both of them. One, the Independent Redistricting Commission. Uh, it was it passed. Uh, it was Proposition Four back in 2018. But this is the interesting when you look at how that measure passed mm-hmm. that proposition. It failed in 25 counties. It only passed in four counties. Along the Wasatch. Front. Along the Wa- No, it was no? no. It was Salt Lake County. Okay. Summit County. Grand County, which is Moab, and Carbon County. It failed in all the other counties. In, a, in an election that had well over a million votes, it only passed by a little over 6,000 votes. If you take Utah County, which is the fastest growing county of our, of our state uh, and has grown a lot, only 44% of the voters in, in Utah County said yes to a, air quote with my fingers, independent redistricting commission. Seven unelected, appointed commission, you know, members of a commission have to proffer a map as passed by Proposition 4. And the Senate and or the legislature has only the option of accepting it wholesale or rejecting it. They can't tweak it. So that's actually, if you look at the, the members of the House, the State House and Senate, if they looked at what their their district voted, they could they could repeal Proposition 4 because there'd be enough votes because it, it only passed by such a slim, slim margin. And in some of the most populous areas, it didn't pass at all in terms of those counties. But here's, that's the, that's the glass half empty. Here's the glass half full. This com- the people that organized that commission came together with the legislature, understanding that the, the, the margins were not very strong yeah. for how this would roll out. They came up with an agreement of how they will have a map and they have to accept it or not, but how that can inform their process. And the legislature kicked a million dollars into uh, this commission for them to be able to operate. But right last week, I think the news was that the Democrat chair, Utah Democrat chair, upon seeing the appointment of uh, La- former state senator Lau Hilliard, and former con- member of Congress and s- state speaker of the House Rob Bishop to the commission said these are ju- that's just rank partisanship. They have no place on here. So before they've even drawn a line, you're seeing the first start to fly, which goes to the point of redistricting isn't going to make everybody happy. It's whatever lines you draw, there are going to be there are going to be critics no matter what you do. There isn't an independent way to process that. And then if you want to go back and say, "Lo, look, if you're ups- upset that former state senator Lau Hilliard." Uh, Republican is on the commission and Rob Bishop's on. What about Karen Hale? She was a state Democrat state senator. No complaints. Uh, She's been a lieutenant governor candidate for two different Democrat candidates for governor. She worked for an administration. uh, I think Ralph Becker in Salt Lake City. She was the deputy mayor for uh, for Ben McAdams in Salt Lake County. So if you're going to say that's just rank partisanship with the, the Republican appointments to the commission, you could say this exact same thing about Karen Hale, but I wouldn't say that about Karen Hale, nor would I say it about uh, se- former Senator uh, Hilliard or Representative uh, Congressman Rob Bishop. So if they're already complaining, if you're already seeing the complaints happen before the maps were even drawn, let's just let's lower our expectations of what we think an independent redistricting commission can even do. So, so Mara, can we leave the fur on the beast for right now and just see what they come up with? Or is it going to be unfair to Democrats in Utah no matter how they slice this pie. Well, I mean, I think an important part of the tale that um, 
Greg just yarned for us is oh wow she's <laughs> calling you a liar liar pants and fire that that after the citizens and and let's I, I'm trying hard not to do my, too much rebuttal but that recap of how a state election works where apparently I can ignore it if my jurisdiction didn't vote for it no is it's a law that can be how state, amended how state it's elections proposition work. No, laws I'm can talking, be amended like I'm, any other law I did not sorry sorry you. sorry I, I I'm talking about your analysis of that if a sub component of a state doesn't vote for it if a county doesn't vote for a statewide initiative therefore it's not binding i mean unfortunately for <laughs> you i perhaps paraphrase my per- comment perhaps not that's accurately. why the governor's race didn't work out because that's not why <laughs> statewide races <laughs> oh, work oh I body know, blow body blow but i but i do think an important part is going to be uh yeah I, i'm going to give some credit to the state right now for this independent commission was a little gutted afterwards in that it took some teeth out in that it's a recommended body. The original initiative really wanted it to have some authority. And th- there's some problems with that. You don't have to go into yeah. the problems with that. But like, but but the, I will give the state that they really have turned to this commission and said, we're looking at you. We're mm-hmm. paying attention and we're waiting. That's my glass you. half full. And, and so I hope that the state continues... Um, to do that, the reality is we live in a monolith, and I w- and 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 they're in con- the, the Republicans are in control, and they deserve to be in control because we m- elect more of them than we elect Democrats, and they will certainly guide the day in terms of what our no- next district should be. Mara's right too. I do look at the state as a subset. So the ten counties I did win yeah. when I ran for governor, you're that's still governor of those th- ten. That's counties. That's Liberty Land. So mm-hmm. you know that's where patriots in the state of Utah live, as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned, Mara. I, 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 I will come to your inauguration. Thanks. Thank you. We're planning one. They get ready. They just do it like that. Whoever wins the counties, they're in charge they of those the counties. counties. Yeah. That's right. I'm, I'm prepared for that. Leadership. I think I won more acreage. I think I, I think the ac- I think I got more acreage than any other candidates. Just so you know, now I I've won. You've been thinking about this. Land mass. We are on to something. Thank you here. very much. You brought it up, but I'm just going to say I, I now, I'm probably guilty now, of that. As someone left of center, I'm going to suggest that the acreage also goes up. So there we go. That's how we're going to work on density. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> let me know what your wife's planning for her platform in <laughs> yes. these ten counties. Thank you, Liberty <laughs> Land. <laughs> it's Liberty <laughs> Land, and we'll let you know. We'll, okay. we'll keep you posted. Listen, I don't know if Abby Cox would agree with that, but she came out with her initiative this week and. Her initiative is really more empathy. And I don't know if that's providing empathy, Greg, if you're just wanting to win your t- 10 counties. No, it's it. No, I, I am being very empathetic. These people okay. need a voice. They Mine. Do need a voice. Okay. So she uh, <laughs> came out uh, this week, and I think they're all great areas to work on. She says, I think we can look around in any public sphere and see the behavior modeled by many adults to children is less than empathetic. And we really do have a world that just likes to be nasty. I keep telling myself I'm going to quit social media aside from the fact that it's part of my job. But people are just so nasty to each other. And I don't think it stops on social media. I think it's leaking into all parts of our life where we just think that everything's a, you're for it or against it. You hate them or you love them and there's no in between. So here's what she's going for. Uh, showing up for foster care, social and emotional learning, uh, service and unified sports. If I understand the unified sports, that's a lot like Special Olympics, but letting some of those Special Olympic um, style athletes play with the other athletes on their teams mm-hmm. um, at the school. Greg, we'll let you start on this one. Um, a good place to go for uh, the First Lady of Utah? Absolutely. You know, I, 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 empathy, if you look at, at, at Western civilization, actually just look at world history, and you look at even the different faiths and the different philosophies uh, that, that are recorded, that man has recorded over however many thousand years. Empathy is such, it, you can call it the golden rule. You can call it, uh, you know, Life's a two-way street. There's so many ways you can describe empathy. 
But it, it is the essence, I think, of leadership. I think it's the essence of making good decisions. I, I think everything we should do, we should try as hard as we can to be empathetic. And I think sometimes our life experiences, what we experience unique to our own lives, brings that empathy, brings a level of understanding of certain circumstances that you might read about or you might observe from afar, but you might not understand. Trying to, to feel more empathy for our fellow being, I, I, I can't... I can't uh, imagine a, a, a more worthy cause. I, I love seeing it. I think it's great. I really do. Abby, Abby Cox has a really good senior staff. So one, I'm just going to give a shout out to how exciting it is to see a first lady that has a really solid senior staff. And one of the things I, I, I've heard them grappling with over the past few weeks is how broad they wanted their agenda to be. You know, that is always the challenge. And I was a little worried when I heard them developing this theme of empathy while worthy. It's so big. It is a big. Now, what I really appreciated is she did ground it in four very specific areas. Yes. And you know, that, that adage, they talk about this in the nonprofit world a lot, is that you can't be good at all things, right? So I like that she's laying down a big marker of empathy, which I agree, Heidi, like we need to hear these words right now. But also, she rose to the challenge of saying, but I'm also going to choose for deliberate, really specific things. And, you know, foster care system... Uh, is is manageable in the state of Utah, but these kids are so often overlooked. She chose communities that are often overlooked. And she's taking such a broad approach that I cannot think of anyone in Utah who cannot join her in it. Right. And that's her motto. Join me. I, I'm not, you know, I'm not this side. So if you hate so. service, help right. me with foster exactly. care or unified sports, yes. there's something in it for everyone. And I think the key to success is not just looking and thinking, oh, that's nice that the first lady's doing that but trying to picture ourselves participating uh with her and i i think she did a remarkable job again broad empathy but really directing it and we can all participate and, and, and let me just say that that because empathy is the is the key there's so much you can learn from the from the areas of of focus and priority she's sharing but when you when you engage there because she's talking about empathy broadly the hope is that you realize there is a deeper story out there in other areas of life and that what you experienced in these specific uh, experiences broadens your your perspective that you're going to look for that empathy in other areas of your life I, I do I think it's I, I think it's incredibly creative and I think it's it's so needed so I, I give it you know a plus plus okay well we're giving grades let's stick with <laughs> grades how about for uh president biden's first 100 f minus days minus in office f minus it's minus that bad you oh. like is that your serious grade or you're just trying to be i don't know i i guess i love a buck 50 more a gallon in gas and climbing i love tax increases i love job losses and get oil and gas and keystone pipeline check i think that jobs are coming back whether that's due to uh, biden or the fact that the pandemic's any jobs are coming those back. jobs in those specific areas are gone but there might be the economy those might be the coming back. Those are the jobs that counts. But not no, I'm just jobs. saying those jobs, specific jobs, were lost. But but I I think the the crisis and surge at the border is an absolute nightmare. And I think if it were a Republican administration, the description and the empathy about the children and where they're staying and and their conditions right now would be completely different than it is that the the mainstream media is pushing out there. So no, I don't think it's been great at all. I think that there are incredible contrasts and measurable contrast between the prior administration and this one, and I don't think any of them are good. So some of the things I think are interesting on the week where he gave his first address is um, Biden clearly is a president who knows how to 
mark political events and make the best of them. There's an adage in politics that events drive politics. And perhaps it's because he's been looking at this job for 40 years or he's been around for so long. But He's had some time to plan. He's had some time to plan, but he's doing a really good job mirroring both the mantle of uh, what the president can do and also the communications to push it forward. So you saw really artfully on the eve of his 100 days, he calls into Congress and he gives a speech that is presidential and forward-leaning and his package is huge, right? Like his, that it, it, it's a lot of money, but it's also but it's also a big vision. It's big gear thinking. It's generational thinking. Now there's a lot that's going to be haggard about can we afford it? Can we not? I, and we'll we'll speak to those in another day. But I think you have to give him credit for being a big generational thinker for for not going small on these ideas. Uh, you may reject it, but he's going big on those ideas. And he gets more uh, in my mind the strategy he's using to immediately hit the road and couple those with grassroots communications is just a really tried and true strategy. I mean, he and uh, Vice President Harris both hit the road. They're selling this every day. I think the handoff we're still watching for is I think he's very artfully creating conditions um, in which he will he will see he's laying out a successful agenda. That doesn't mean I think everything's going to get passed. But the trick is, remember, we talked about this before, Governors make plans and legislators make legislation. And so who is he going to hand that off to in the House and Senate is a question right now. Um, But I think for me, grading him on terms of understanding the role of the presidency, understanding the power of a big agenda, understanding the artfulness of public communications and political communications, I think he's done a tremendous job. I think it's interesting that you say the big agenda because they always say big, go big or go home. Right. But he ran, in my mind, as a maybe more moderate Democrat, but I don't think that what he's proposed is the moderate side of what he was running on. I think this is more Kamala Harris in my brain from when I listened to her campaigning and what he's been pitching. It definitely is some massive change, and the country has to decide if that's uh, the way they want to go. I know one, No one likes to use the word socialist, but I think what he's pitching is definitely a lot further in that direction. Well, Would you did. agree? Hang on, Mara. Well, I mean, no, I, so I, yes and no. So if, if, if Bill Clinton laid down the marker that the end of big government was over, certainly Biden is, is not agreeing with that, right? Yeah. He's saying there's a role for government. But here's what's changed in 2021 is that post-pandemic, the pandemic was an epic shift, which leads a gap in the minds of political speech in which he can redefine some terms. Now, both parties have been horrible on deficit and spending. Nobody has the higher ground on that. And I think everyone, if you're looking down at the sheer volume of money, I think there are very few people but the most liberal Democrats who are like, that sounds fine, right? I mean, that is a burdensome debt. But what we have yet to discuss, which is, I think, um, where partisanship gets in the way, is that taxes are, and, and, and I say this to, with conservatives, my experience with conservatives, it's not whether you'll tax yourself. It's not the question of the money. It's a question of how much you believe the government can actually give you what they say. Can they actually follow through and make a difference? You don't trust the system. So if I knew my $5 was going to exactly what you said it was going to, I'd probably give you my 5 bucks. But I don't think it will. So yeah. the test of this package is, one, Piety, you're speaking to the sheer uh, how much money it is. But... What I would suggest the Biden administration needs to do a lot of persuading on is can you convince any of us that 
what he is saying about building the middle sector and, and about building up the middle class, which will actually increase the economy, therefore increase um, the, the disparity in debt will go down. It's the opposite of trickle down. I, the question is, do any of us buy that part? It's I, not don't. The I feel like he's running for student body president of the elementary school, promising root beer in the fountains. Now, is the kid who's running for student body president going to get root beer in the fountains? No. Is it possible? Yes. If you talk to enough people, you could get that you know, plugged in and you could get root beer out of the fountains. Can he pull any of this off? Uh, Greg, before you go, uh, Romney said that uh, the numbers, I haven't looked to check if this is right, but he's proposed $6 trillion of new spending, which is about four times our total federal budget. That's a lot of money in your first 100 days because I know Republicans have been bad, Democrats have been bad, but is more money at this point, more money down the pit of, I don't know what you even call it. It's a lot of money. It is. And, I, and I'll tell you that, that a lot of his messaging after he was elected, it, it, is, it was like stone cold progressive socialist, whatever you want to describe it. He was saying, look, checks in pockets, shots in arms. It's like bread and circuses. I mean, we, he was just, he, the, the, the spending bills, what's an infrastructure bill? It's anything that apparently he wants to spend. He can put the word infrastructure above it and say it's infrastructure. Um, traditionally we've said those are the roads and the rail and the water. Um, but he's broadened that word of infrastructure to mean the green new deal. It can mean spending on education. It can mean anything. Yeah. And so that's a very different, that's, you can say the word infrastructure, but these trillions of dollars of spending bills, multiple ones that he's pushing, it really is changing the role of government. And he's saying out loud, I want you to have faith. He goes back to the Reagan administration and says, you know, Reagan said, you know, not to, not to have faith in government. I'm telling you, you need to believe in your government. I think Americans want to believe in themselves, their, their families, their communities. I don't think we're looking for government to have that strong of a role. Now, I will say in listening to his his uh, his address to Congress, a joint Congress, um, he he changed. He was he was saying middle class, middle class. I'm it's the working class I'm out here for. But you cannot fundamentally raise taxes on corporations. You cannot raise capital gains by twenty percent. You can't, and you can say, look, it's not taxing you personally. But you can't say buy America and we need to have strong uh, manufacturing in this country if your tax structure for those companies is more attractive overseas. And if the, the tax burden is one that is chasing away these industries because you keep raising taxes thinking what, what I would argue a lot of Democrats think, if I just put a bigger number on the spreadsheet, I just get more money. When it's really people and what they do and how they work and what they make that they pay taxes from, that's what drives revenue to government, not what politicians write as what they want uh, on any given budget. I'm going to so. defend his agenda a little bit more than you guys are. I'm going <laughs> to one defend. The I'm fact so surprised that no, I'm going to defend the fact that part of this agenda is a Republican agenda. So before we decide what? that that when that the uh, I'm going to give full credit to the fact that the education components and the child care components have been bipartisan depending on who's in office. They and really those are been. widely successful programs and widely heralded. So before but they have we been just, infrastructure before bills. We just, yeah, are you talking pre-K specifically? The, yes, yeah, but that's for three the semantic of it. We don't even know what the bills are yet before you decide you hate the bill that doesn't exist. So, <laughs> he called it so, infrastructure. I'm so, just saying it's, a, well, I mean, it's an I, abuse of the word. I'm actually expansive enough in my mind <laughs> that I can understand what he means by human infrastructure. So I also I understand think, it. It's just not an infrastructure bill. Yeah. Okay. So I, uh, 
I also think that we're not giving credence enough to someone who laid down a big marker. Now, I'm not, I, I'm not suggesting that it was responsible in some ways. What it was was a visionary, and it has changed the nature of the conversation. It has definitely now, changed it. That is, in fact, what I believe his job is in the system. Part of it is I will stand up Joe Biden's middle-class record against anybody, including those diehard Republicans who have fought for the middle class as well. But the guy knows the middle-class America. And I do think, I, I think there is gamesmanship in this. Absolutely, he's throwing down some stuff that we can't afford. But if I look at the responsibility that he has to broaden the conversation, I think he has done that. And I would like to remind us all to not go into the partisan world, but in fact, take apart the stuff that works reject the stuff that doesn't, but half of his agenda has been poured forth to the credit of Republicans. It has been supported before. You want to help the middle class or you want to help the working people of this country do what President Trump did and put another uh, tax, uh, tax cut on payroll. Put which, a payroll tax. We have to admit it was relaxing listening to President Biden compared to oh, Trump, though, so right? Relaxing. Don't you think it was a little more like? Greg didn't watch it. Greg's well, not. No, I did. I really did watch it, it and it was. But it, it was so weird because it was half full. I want to know it who drew weird. the short straws to have to be in that room because obviously not everyone was there. So how did they pick? We should who know had the Burgess there? Owens. That was one of the symbolism things. I don't know how much hearts <laughs> behind it uh, with uh, President Biden, but he's good at showing diversity and inclusivity because you wouldn't think that he would pick. Burgess Owens to be one of his escorts into the hall, but he did. So. See, I didn't see the beginning of it, so I didn't see that part. Yeah, yeah. And he had time Good to talk him. to everybody on the way out, right? Yeah, I mean, that interaction, that was, that was nice to see. It was sort of nice to see people connecting with each other. I heard a I White House correspondent. business cards, which I was weird. And like, don't I you actually... that was weird. Don't you have all the congressional I know. numbers? Like, is, phone there numbers? A, is there not like a little flip book of all the... Don't you have people like, who can get that number? I know, that's so weird to me. Here's my card, call me. Here I am. Call me, maybe. There was a White House correspondent that followed the... President Biden, when he was candidate Biden for president, and said this was maybe the first time in a year where he has really just been able to just walk up and interact yeah. with with people the way he was doing at that at the end of that speech. So I also want to be among the ones who repeat the news that I think is worthy, and that everybody in in the room that night gave him a standing ovation about the introduction of a Speaker of the House and a Vice President who were female. Yeah. I think that was exciting. I thought it was a good visual was too. Cool. Yeah. I liked it, except for cool. the masks. I thought it was uh, uh, they're all vaccinated; they don't have to wear them. It's just a bit much. Can't you just pageantry. can't you just say it was great? But it was good if they didn't have their masks on. I thought I honestly saw Nancy Pelosi's eyes were bulging. No, her eyes were so big. I thought she was oxygen deprived. I thought she was going to pass out. Kamala looked fine. She looked. She was listening. Her head shaking. Go back and watch. Nancy's eyes are silver dollars. Like she's going to die up there. She's just looking, and she. If I, I felt like she needs to breathe. She needs to be able to breathe. I feel like that when I wear my mask sometimes, too. Like, I'm holding my breath, and I'm like, oh, wait, remind right. yourself to breathe a little. Right. Yeah. But think about it. it. I always think about it when people are campaigning or something like that going on. If you're the people that are put right behind the person campaigning or the president, like, think about how hard you're thinking about what your face is doing because, you know, everyone's reading what the you're I've done time. that in the state of the state. Yeah, that's hard, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, like, trying to tell yourself I'm not reading to make his, faces. I'm reading the speech because it's on the teleprompter, and I'm reading it with uh, the governor as he's given it. And, uh, and you know that you have to, like, you Keep can't a make pleasant, facial but expressions. not happy, not angry, not mm-hmm. constipated. You just got to look yeah. like there. And my phone is under my, and it keeps buzzing. And I can't like keep looking at my phone while the speech oh, yeah. is going on too. That would be bad. That looks bad. Yeah. I, I would, I don't think I'd be good at that. Some person took a picture of me a couple of years ago when I was interviewing uh, Governor Herbert and they sent me the pictures. I'm like, what 
the heck? I have like resting bee face. Like just that's my that's my face. And I'm like And when she says bee, ladies and gentlemen, she's not talking about the insect that makes no. honey. That's not I what the bee did, she I means. I did not look pleasant. And I'm like, I'm sorry if this is what people have to look at all the time. I gotta like practice looking pleasantly happy to be alive. Tucker all the Carlson time. has that problem when he's interviewing people. He has this real weird look on his face when he's listening. He's concentrating that's on That's only you're a saying. problem for him when he's listening? When he's li- no, he has, he's got a very pleasant demeanor does when he's he, speaking. Yes. Does he though? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. You've never watched him, so don't act like you have. Okay. All right. We are at 35 minutes, so we have a choice. Yes. Do we want to talk about methane? People who've stuck around this long are into the weeds of politics, or do we just save it for another week? Mara, it's your topic. You want to talk? I think we save it for another week. Okay. Uh, get ready to understand methane and why it mambers. <laughs> <laughs> mambers? Mambers. Matters. There's a methane leak in here, apparently, that, yes. that because Heidi it's can't say matters. That now will there be might be. If there's a methane Can you smell methane? You can smell methane, right? I don't know. I don't know. Methane gas? I think there's a constant gas leak in the in the Senate chamber I at the Capitol. Like they 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 work in slow motion there, like there's a gas leak. They do work very slowly. Maybe it's a very good thing. docile. Do you know what? And by slowly though, we're talking about reading bills, and I think we saw the first reading of a bill recently when they were trying to pass something, which doesn't <laughs> ever happen. So, if you're in Congress and you're listening to us, read your bills. That's you right. got time. Thanks for being with us. We'll be back next week with more exciting political drivel. Is that what we call it? Yeah. (laughs) Thanks for joining us. Tell your friends about us. Give us a review. Hit a like. Hit a good one. Likes are good too. Thanks for hanging out with us.